to iterate what my dad said. It was funny to, to hear my dad call me Pastor Chad. He, he doesn't do that when we're sitting at home. Um, but that was nice of him in front of all of you. Uh, just to iterate what he said, we will be here on February 2nd and Maybe you can tell that it's a work in progress. Maybe you have a sore neck uh, from looking at that screen over there. And we're still working on uh, figuring... We'll have another one, uh, but we're working on placement of those things and some things to darken this area. And like I promised and have been promising, we're doing our best to make this gym feel like a, a sanctuary and not a gym. Uh, there is, uh, whether we like it or not, whether it's right or not, there's something about us as, as human beings uh, that... Uh, that makes atmosphere important. Uh, there's a reason that you love Disneyland or there's a reason that you hate Disneyland. It just depends on the type of atmosphere that you like. And, and so, uh, this week after Christmas, we will, I'll be sending out a video to, to tell you how you can really help make this move uh, a very successful thing. And I'll just get it out there right now. It is going to partly be about you sharing that we're making this move and inviting others to be here and, I really uh, would like it to be much fuller than this on, on February 2nd. One of the, uh, just let me just level with you before I jump into this, this great verses that we're about to look at. Uh, uh, one of the fears in moving here is that it feels more empty. I mean, I think uh, attendance-wise, we're about the same as we always are right now. And you're probably thinking, where are these other people? Uh, and I'll tell you where the other people are. You haven't invited them to church yet. Uh, and, and I said three years ago almost now when I started that, uh, that I, for two years, we just need to become a better church. And, and uh, praise God, we have become a better church. Uh, you guys like each other more. Uh, we have uh, healthiness uh, throughout our church. People like our church. Visitors come back to our church, and that didn't happen for a long time. Uh, and we have a, a higher percentage of people return to church now than, than not return to church after they visit. Uh, and so we've we've come a long ways, and I always said that 2014 would be kind of the year when I start to drop that share and invite kind of terminology that that maybe scares you. But but uh, I was planning kind of to, to say that more in July. Uh, but with this move coming up, we would really like you to think about who's not in church and they should be in church and needs to hear the gospel, which I say every week. I preach the gospel, uh, and so uh, find people like that, and, and that'll be in the video that we'll send out later uh, after Christmas this week. Today we're going to continue to look at the story of the Magi. And uh, it's been a beautiful story to me so far. We've seen so much and we will, uh, we'll go over some of that again. But I just, I want to jump right into it. And uh, this TV uh, is able to be on stage with me now. We weren't going to try to pick that up. But uh, I, I think that you'll find that it, it will be a good communication tool for us. And I'm always striving to communicate better with you in a way that uh, impacts you and stays in your head. And, and so the verses will be in both places today. Uh, and moving forward when we're at the school. But uh, if you're open to Matthew 3, 9, this is what we read first. Uh, 2, 9, excuse me, Matthew 2, 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And to catch all of you up to speed who haven't been here, who haven't been a part of this series, this is a great verse for it here because what takes place is that the wise men, the magi, the three kings that you know about that we just sang a lot about, they have traveled three and a half months, over 900 miles to be with Jesus. And they show up in Jerusalem and they start to look for this one who has been born in their minds and in our minds, hopefully, King of the Jews. And, and they find this weird phenomenon. Nobody that's Jewish seems to know that their king has been born. And so they start to ask about it. Where's the one born king of the Jews? How come you guys aren't 
celebrating what's going on. And somehow, some way, they're ushered to the king at the time in a physical sense, a man named Herod. And Herod, just to, to remind you or to tell you for the first time, was one of the worst men ever to live. He, he was a tyrant by every uh, definition of that word. He, he killed people in order to stay in power. Uh, he did everything he needed to do politically to stay in power. Uh, and so he hears that they're looking for somebody that's going to replace him and he has a problem with that. But he doesn't want to tip his hat. And so he says in the last verse that we looked at last week to these magi, Hey, you go and find him. I heard that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, this king of the Jews. Go look in a city called Bethlehem. And if you find him there, then come back and tell me so that I, and I'll put this in quotes, may worship him. Really, he had the, his only intent was, was to find Jesus so that he could kill him. Jesus. But this is what we read here. After King Herod sent them on their way, and when the star rose ahead of them. So they, they see the star rise back after they've had this encounter with this tyrant king, and it goes over the city of Bethlehem. And they begin to follow the star that has led them for so many months and so many miles. And this is what we read in verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. That's, that's a really key word right there. Just When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. See, the star comes and it just stops. And they know. This is what they know. They know that the one that they had been searching for for so long, that they had been hoping for, that they had given up everything to follow and see and worship, was inside the building that they had arrived at. You kind of know these moments, right? When, you, when you've been waiting for like a concert or you've been waiting to go to Disneyland or you've been waiting for a movie for a really long time and then you see the building, you know, and it's, there's like this well of excitement. And this is what these men are living through. And uh, the translation overjoyed uh, is a poor translation because, because it, it doesn't do justice to what the Bible is really trying to say. And the NIV I like a lot, but the NIV really fails at this point because what we see in the actual Greek, the, the real language that the Bible was passed down to us in is four Greek words for that single word, overjoyed. And let me just tell them to you, and I don't always like to say what the words are, but they're really important for us because these guys aren't just kind of happy uh, it's not like going to a movie, it's something far greater. And, and Matthew, the writer of the book that we're looking at, really wants you to understand just how pumped up these guys are. The first word is Cairo. And it means to rejoice, be delighted or pleased, to be glad. Okay, so that word would have done it, right? I mean, that kind of gets us to overjoyed. I mean, they're really, really excited. They're overjoyed. But then he throws in another word, kara, and it means delight, joy, gladness. So now he's basically said the same thing twice. I mean, they're joyful, they're glad, they're excited. But he's not done because the next word that he uses is megos. And it means great, large, of physical magnitude, also of the measure, number, cost, and estimation of things. Or great, large, properly of physical magnitude, but also great in force and intensity, hence of the voice loud. 
So he's like, hey, this is Cairo Kara, but I just don't want you to know that it's joy and, and happiness and excitement. I want you to know that, that it's a really large version of those two things. It's really big. It's like a, it's like a skyscraper. That's another way they would have used that word. It's like a skyscraper of happiness that they are experiencing when this star stops over where Jesus is. And the last word is, is phadra, and it means vehemently, eagerly, very much. Vehemently, eagerly, or very much. Let me, let me just show you how the ESV translates this. Let me read this to you. Matthew 2.10 in the ESV says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is not like, I'm kind of happy, I'm, you know, I'm, this is cool, we finally made it. This is like, I mean, it is like as excited as you could possibly. I mean, when you use four words to try to say one thing, then you're, you're really making a big deal out of the overjoy of this group of people, the Magi. You see, these people have come so far. They've come to where Jesus is. And this is really the first point of the day is that when you celebrate Christmas... Uh, if you're going to celebrate it like the Magi, if you're going to understand the real value and, and the real worth of the Christmas season, you're going to say that's Jesus, then there should be like a, a Cairo, Cara, Megas, Fodra kind of joy going on in your life. And I think this is just something I've, I've witnessed and it seems like we want as a society to kind of suck away that joy about spiritual things. Uh, I think that, that we're okay with it when it comes to like a sporting event. Go to a sporting event and you see lots of people joyously celebrating together. But in church, and I don't know why this is, uh, but in Christian circles, we've tried to kind of like, like curb that. We've kind of tried to, to say, well, you know, we're, we're serious now. We're not joyful. This is, this is church. This is Christianity. We need, I mean, we can celebrate during Christmas, but when it comes to Jesus, then you need to not have like an overjoy. You need to have like a seriousness. And I, I actually, uh, a story that I tell almost every year at the Christmas time, but uh, it's important to tell again. I used to teach Kind of my, one of my first ministry gigs is I taught Sunday school kindergarten and, uh, for the kindergarten age. And, uh, during the Christmas season one year, um, we had only one kid show up. Apparently I wasn't very good at it, but, uh, uh, we had one kindergarten kid show up as a church of a thousand people too, I should tell you that. Uh, and, and so I'm like, hey, River, uh, that was his name. I'm not, I'm not gonna, let's go over with another teacher. Let's, let's, just hang out with them. She can tell the story. I'm kind of tired. Anyway, it's the holidays, man. Uh, and so we went over and we're hanging out with this other teacher. And she's telling the Christmas story. And she's doing a great job. And I'm sure she's a great teacher. I didn't know this lady at all. But uh, I'm sure she's great. So don't judge her after what I tell you next. But she's telling the story. And she's got the nativity up there. Little nativity. Kids are into it. She's doing a good job. And she asked the question, Do you know who was born? And River who is a handful of a kid, jumps up and he goes for the nativity to grab the baby Jesus and he yells out, Baby Jesus! And she says something that has just bothered me forever and she has become a story every single Christmas. Forgive me, lady. She said, Bottoms on the tape. We have this little tape that they were supposed to be sitting on, not in my class, but in her class. And, and so she is saying, I need you to sit back down. And I think... 
So I just kind of examined church and Christianity and, and how we approach the Christmas season. I think that we are very okay with like jumping up and down if our favorite sporting team is winning. Or, or I was at a concert recently and I was just blown away at how excited people are. And you can yell anything you want and people think it's really cool. But when you're here, when you're talking about Jesus, your bottoms are like taped to the tape. I mean, they are stuck down. And I think that it is embedded in us from the time we were very little. Just last night at our family Christmas Christmas party, a uh, little boy sitting next to me, and we start singing Christmas carols, and he just starts laughing hysterically. And it's probably because he was sitting next to me and listening to my singing, I'm not sure. Uh, but, but everybody in the room, I think, kind of felt uh, like uh, we need to get him to be quiet because we're doing something serious now. We're singing about Jesus. And it was just really, I didn't do that because I was preaching this this morning. And, uh, but is there something, isn't there, wouldn't you agree that there's something uh, about the way we celebrate spiritual things that we have just taken and said, let's not be overjoyed. I mean, we can be a little bit joyful and we can be kind of happy, but let's not be overjoyed. That's embarrassing. And I think that if we're going to learn from these men, if we're going to celebrate Christmas like they did, make it really about Jesus, then instead of kind of joy, we need to be overjoyed. We need to be people who have large joy. We need to be people who have joy times two. We need to be people who have vehement joy. And so, what I, I hope you grasp, and, and one of the things that's just really important to them, is that we need to just leave here, and we need to be excited about Christmas. You can be stressed or annoyed or bothered about everything else you have to do, but I want you to leave here like genuinely excited about the birth of Jesus. And the excuse that I hear just most of the time is, well, that's not really my personality. And people say that about the way that they sing or don't sing when we're worshiping Jesus. Like, ah, that's not really my personality. And I just, I would ask you this. Just ask yourself what your personality is when you're doing the thing that you're most excited about. I mean, when you're at a concert, when you're at a sporting event, uh, when you're doing whatever you love to do, what's your personality then? And that personality should align with what happens when you're celebrating the birth of Jesus. And maybe it's quieter and you kind of do this and, and, and it wells inside of you and that's fine. But if you're jumping up and down when you go to the greatest concert you've ever been to and you're not really celebrating Jesus when you sing about him or when you talk about him and you're, there's no excitement there, then you're lying to yourself about that whole personality deal. You just kinda, you're just making that up because you're not overjoyed about Jesus. Verse 3.11, 2.11, good night, 2.11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, there's a couple of key phrases here. The first one isn't really like going to motivate you to change your life or anything like that. But I just want you to grasp, and we already sang about it this morning, the magnitude, the craziness, the weirdness of this moment. The child, this is what they see, the child with his mother, Mary. I mean, just picture, I've walked or ridden a camel for three and a half months. Over 900 miles. I'm here now. I'm overjoyed. The door opens. For me, I'm expecting a glowing kid. I'm expecting like gold everywhere. I'm expecting like something like the woo sound or you know like something just crazy to happen. 
if I've traveled that far and that long. And they opened the door, and I, I can't tell you what these guys' emotions were, but they opened the door, and they see a mom with her baby. I mean, just for the sake of trying to go back to those early Christmas years, those early celebrations of Jesus' birth, just like picture that. And don't forget that these men are royalty in their own mind. I mean, these magi, these wise men, these three kings are like a big deal in their country. They kind of pick the kings. They're not the king. But they kind of choose it and they're super rich. And people come to them for wisdom about every topic of life. I mean, if you want to know about science, you go to these guys. If you want to know about religion, you go to these guys. And everything in between. And and they open this door with all their splendor and all their nice robes on. And they see a poor mother with her poor baby and I wonder if they just for a second thought what did we do I wonder if they wondered what what is God up to I mean why are we here this is what do we do now is it too late to turn around or have they seen us I mean what is this like and it begs a really important question I mean why I mean why why the child a baby a little kid with his mother, why not like a mythological God? I mean, why didn't God show up like that? Why not as a king in a palace? And uh, why not in a way that was glowing and magnificent and everybody had to pay attention to? And I think there's a couple of reasons, and we could probably hash this out. There's no definitive answer to that question. But, but I think that maybe it, it, he just wanted to show us God wanted to show us in coming in, in a baby and a child that he understands. That he gets what we go through. That he gets the struggles that we face. That he gets how hard it is to be a mom. That he gets the, what it's like to have tough family dynamics. I think he wanted us to understand that he understands. And I also think that he wanted us to know that he didn't come just to be above us just to show us how great he was, just to, to rub in our faces that he was perfect and we are not, just to, just to do something grand, but to have an intimate relationship with us. We have lots of new moms here. And so this is easy for us to kind of picture, right? And we see it here because we have good moms in this church. I mean, the intimacy of that relationship. And I think that even when Jesus was a child, something that lasted through his whole ministry... Just by being a child, he was showing you and I, I have come to this earth to have a real and intimate relationship with you. It's so cool. I mean, just study like the other gods, that, the fake gods that, that the world talks about. I mean, they're always like, it's just so much bigger and better than us. They're like nothing like we can possibly imagine and nothing that we can possibly relate to that's the problem in other religions they just have gods that tell them what to do but in christianity the true religion we have a god that wants to have a relationship with us matthew 2 11 continues this is what we read and this is the part of the story that you really really know i mean this is like the, the thing that everybody knows we've sang about it a hundred times this christmas then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Now, first word that's very interesting there is this word treasures. And it's interesting that, that Matthew, as he's writing this down, and uh, God, as he inspires this, doesn't just say that they like opened up you know, their excess stuff that they had lying around. Uh, and I think that Matthew, God, wants us to understand that, that these gifts are valuable to these people. It wasn't like how I would approach probably Christmas buying, like, let's just get it done and let's get it out of the way. These people, like, really wanted to show Jesus that he was important to them. The next time we see the word treasure in the book of Matthew is Matthew six nineteen through 21. And it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I think that Matthew is using the same type of word. He's using the same word, in fact. And, and what he's saying is like, this is what you value. Because Matthew 6, 19 through 21 is all about your value. I mean, we literally, like in a physical sense, we can't like put, we can't be like, God, hey, I, I need a savings account. And so here's five bucks. And we just shove it up there. It's like a spiritual thing, right? And it's something that, it's like where you invest your life. That's what's going to pay off for you in the end. And, and so Matthew's using this word in a very like spiritual a very important sense, and it is, you know, what they value. And so they are bringing to Jesus things that they find valuable. And these things have been much discussed. You may have heard what I'm about to say, but it's worth repeating again. And, and so the first word, uh, the word gold, is important because gold is the metal of royalty. Has been for thousands of years and it will be moving forward in the future. Gold is what kings have. I mean, you might have a little, you might have a a wedding ring, you might have like a necklace. But for the most part, we don't have just like a room full of gold, right? When we think of rooms full of gold, we immediately think of kings. People that are important. People that have power. And these people, the magi are saying about Jesus, whether they know it or not, we do not know. But what Scripture wants us to see first is something that's already shown us several times just in this passage of Scripture, and that is that Jesus is King. It's something that that has been said through through his genealogy at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. It's something that was said by Matthew as he kind of put in some, some... Parenthetical statements is something that's been said through the Magi already. Where is the one born king of the Jews? And now it is said through this gift. And what you need to understand is we're looking for the real value of this Christmas season is that when Jesus was born, he was not just born as some guy. He was born as king of kings and lord of lords. It does not matter whether or not you choose to bow down before him. It does not matter whether or not you choose to call him king. He still is king. The only choice that we have in the matter is whether or not we will accept him as king and we will treat him as king in the way in which we live our lives. The second one is frankincense. And if you were to go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 30, verses 34 through 38, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense. 
all in equal amounts and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred, grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the ark of the covenant of the law in the tent of meeting where I, this is God, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from the people. Frankincense was something that was used in the worship of God. If you go to the Old Testament, God really likes good smelling things like meat and incense. And, and so in this mixture, he has frankincense. And when these magi show up and they put frankincense in front of Jesus, whether they know it or not, they are declaring and they are reminding us that Jesus is God come to earth. But they aren't just reminding us that this is God come to earth to build a relationship with mankind. They're also reminding us that Jesus is our high priest, something we talked about last week. It means that He is the one who has made it possible for us to be saved from sin. And it means that He is the one who intercedes on behalf of us as He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus is the one that we can go to with our problems. As my dad said earlier, Jesus is the one that we can approach when we have sinned and need forgiveness. He is our priest and our Savior. The last thing that they bring is myrrh. Mark fifteen twenty three says this, Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. The situation for that is that Jesus is hanging on the cross where we believe that He went to die to take away the sins of the world by being the punishment for it all. And He's hanging on the cross and He is handed on a stick myrrh. Just a little bit later in John 19.39 we read, He was accompanied by Nicodemus. This is not Jesus. This is another Pharisee. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds, and he was coming to Bury Jesus. Later in the Bible, Jesus rises again and and the first thing that he would have smelled as he rose again was this smell of myrrh. And what we see is that these, these magi, these wise men are declaring something very important about Jesus and that is that he has come to die. It's a very funny gift to give a baby. Seems a little weird. I mean, a burial fragrance. Something that you bury people with. But they are declaring, whether they know it or not, that Jesus has come to die for the sins of the world. We look at Jesus through this story, and it's a pretty incredible story. Because it teaches us so much about who Jesus is and why Christmas is valuable. And One of the goals of this series was to find the true value of the Christmas story in the Magi. And we've seen so much. Let me just, again, kind of say some of the things that we've seen. We've seen that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ and all that that encompasses. And that means that Jesus came to set things right in every single way. And so no matter if you think like, well, I have this hurt and this pain in my life, Jesus came in order to like fix that in your life. He came to fix things spiritually and eventually physically. And He came to make the world what it was intended to be. We've seen that Jesus is Savior. That He came to die for your sins. Everything that you've done wrong, Jesus came to take away the punishment for that so that someday you can live in eternity with Him. We've seen that Jesus is God with us. I mean, He isn't just a man. He is literally a God-man who came down here to say, look, God wants to have a relationship 
with you. We've seen that Jesus, as I just mentioned, is King of Kings. And just in the three verses that we've looked at today, we see that Jesus is the King to be honored and the God to be worshipped and the Savior of all mankind. And with all of that in mind, it's crystal clear that when we celebrate Christmas, it can't be if we're serious about Jesus. It cannot be, first and foremost, about the decorations. It can't be about the traditions. It can't be about family. It can't be about singing carols. It can't be uh, about food. It can't be about the presence. It must be about this man who was born as a little baby to save us and be our God and to be our King and to, to make everything right in our lives. But the other goal of this series was to really figure out how to really make this Christmas season about Jesus. It says in this passage that we looked at today that they bowed down and worshipped Him. And we would love to be able to do that today, I think, some of us. Like, oh, if Jesus was here and I could really just bow down before Him, In a very real way, I could just see a star, see a house, walk in, bow before him. Then he could really know how much I value him. But the truth is, in a physical way, we cannot do that. And so, so far, we've seen two things. We've talked about two things over the course of the last two weeks. Ways that the Magi show us that we can make this Christmas about Jesus. We saw first that we need to make time for Jesus. And I hope that you've done that, you've taken some moments and you've set aside time that you don't normally set aside and you've just sat before Jesus and maybe you've sang some of the the Christian Christmas carols to Him or you've worshipped Him through music or you've prayed or you've read your Bible and you've just thought about how great it is that He came to the world. But I hope that you've taken some time and said, Jesus... I want to be like the Magi. I want to, I want to make this Christmas really about you. And so here, here's a half hour. Here's 45 minutes. Here's an hour of my time. I'm just going to be with you. Hope you've taken time to be in the presence of Jesus. And, and the other thing that, that we saw uh, last week is, is that, um, we can present him to the world with our voices. And I've really worked to do that this week. Um, and we can, we can make sure that we declare the truth of the Christmas story and, and not just let our words be like, yeah, I finished my shopping or really got a bake tonight or we got family coming over. What are you doing tomorrow night? Or did you get Christmas lights up? Instead of making our words all about that stuff to say, I am going to, I'm going to declare, I'm going to present Jesus and what he did to the world. I'm going to do my best to, to, with my words, actually say, I think this Christmas is about Jesus. And we're not going to do that because we're rejecting happy holidays. We talked about that. We're not just like angry every time we say Merry Christmas. But instead, we are overjoyed saying, look, right now I'm celebrating the birth of the one that I believe is God, King, Savior, Messiah, who sets everything right on this earth for those who allow him. And today we see one other way. A very cool way that the Magi show us we can make this Christmas about Jesus. And that is this. They give him presents. I mean, they literally bring Jesus presents. 
And it would be cool if we could do that in a physical way. And then we just like, hey, here's gold. I mean, most of us couldn't afford that. If you could, then you need to give more money to our church. But uh, but most of us, you know, we just wish that like we could go out and we could pick out a present for Jesus. And one blogger said this. There's some problems with that, right? He said this. When people do something nice for us, which we believe about Jesus, uh, we often wonder what we can do for them in return. In fact, we feel obligated to return the favor, so to speak. Jesus died for me and made it possible for me to be with him for eternity in a place where there will be no more sorrow or tears. What do you think that's worth? What can I give him in return? When we give gifts, we sometimes consider what a person needs. What in the world does Jesus need that we can give him? The answer is nothing. Let's look at this gift thing from another angle. When we give gifts, we sometimes consider not what a person needs, but what a person wants. This is usually considered a better gift. And then he asks, okay, so what does Jesus want? And so we see kind of two problems. I mean, really difficult to like hand Jesus a gift. I mean, right? And you're thinking already like, well, I could, I mean, Chad's going to try to get me to give something to the church and we would love that. But but that's not what I'm about to say to you at all. I'm talking about like something that you can really not just do for church, but do strictly for Jesus and that, that's hard you can't hand him anything but the other problem is like what would it be and the really cool thing is and I've never made this association until this year in this series is that Jesus literally tells us how we can give him something I mean he just flat out tells us in Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 40 Jesus says this is how you can give me a present after I go back up into heaven and I leave you, which he has now done. Listen to these words. Listen very carefully. Read along if you want. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the kings will say to those on, then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Ready? Pay attention. Pay really close attention. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus has told us and left us a gateway to giving him presents. And the truth is, if you want to celebrate the birth of Jesus, and you're like, I would really like to get him something, then his answer to how you can do that is to find somebody that is disenfranchised. Find somebody, especially a Christian, that is hurting and struggling, that doesn't have the things that they need, that is locked up in a prison cell, and do something nice for them. And Jesus says that when you do it, you will be offering him A present. Now there's two things I want to say about this. Two just very important things. The first is, 
This sermon series was planned and we've been leading towards this for a little while now and uh, I didn't realize that the week before I did it, our church would just be uh, an example of what this means. I mean, uh, we had our food drive and you brought way more food than uh, than we asked you to bring and we didn't even offer that many reminders and you showed up so that the Oregon Food Bank could have the food that they need this Christmas season and and it was really cool to see that and uh, Kate who organized it said she tried to do it last year and she did it with a pretty big organization uh, and, and they brought one uh, eighth of what we brought this year and, and, and so uh, it's really cool to see that you guys have that heart and I've known that for about our church for a really long time and then last Sunday I, I said on a whim, uh, hey, this this person approached me and there's a, a grandmother in town who's raising her grandchildren and she doesn't have any money or means to buy them Christmas presents this year and, and I'm blown away. If you're not on our newsletter and haven't seen the list of stuff that we were able to secure in one week, uh, it was just mind-blowing how much we were able to, are going to be able to bless these two kids and this woman this Christmas. And it's because the heart and the passion that you have to do the things that Jesus is, is saying right in this passage of Scripture. To say, you know, where, where is a need? I want to meet it because of my love for Jesus. And in our church, what we have found and what we see and what I sometimes talk about with our leadership is, is that it doesn't matter where we go or what ministries we, we get rid of or add. We always seem to bring in people that, that have very, um, very visible hurts and needs in their lives. And, and, and the reason, the only reason that I can come up with for that is that you already are living out what Jesus is talking about here. And, uh, you know, I preach a sermon and I want to tell you something new. I want to, I want to teach you something. I want to encourage you to do something else. And right now, just for one minute, I just want to compliment you on the church that you are. And it, it really is the reason I believe that we are going to move forward. Um, people can go to flashier churches. People can go to bigger churches. But I don't think that anybody can find a church that is more willing to help the disenfranchised. And it's the reason that hurting, suffering, struggling people continue to show up in our congregation. Even though we're not actively going out and saying, hey, where's the hurting people? You know, we're not doing that. But they find their way here because when they show up, they already know that you love them, I can tell. You invite them to sit by you. You care about them. You take care of them. And so I, would, I just want to say, is, as I read this and I think about the celebration of Christmas, that I think year-round, I think that our church and the heart that we have, and I think this will continue to move forward and we'll be a church that helps hurting people always, but I think that Jesus would look down on us and say, you are representing that very well. And, and you have represented that very well this week. And the other thing that I want to say is, if you want to make this more personal... I mean, it's easy to show up and, and hand cans, and, and I'm glad you did that. And it's really easy to say, here, here, Chad, here's some gifts. You deliver that. But, but my encouragement, just in the next week, if you can find somebody that's hurting, just so, you, just so you're saying, look, it's not just a corporate thing, Jesus. I just, in my heart, I want to like, I want to give you a present. Just go find somebody that's in prison, or somebody that's sick, or somebody that's hungry, or somebody that's thirsty, or somebody that's naked. Um, you know. <laughs> I don't know where you're going to find that, but don't walk into a shower or anything. I didn't say that, but, but, but find somebody that's really struggling and do something for them. You're already doing it on a corporate level. We're a church that does that. But if you really want to like, I say in your heart, I want to celebrate Jesus 
And you're saying, I've spent time and, and I spent a little time with Jesus and it was great and, and I'm presenting him to the world and I'm really trying to find an opportunity to talk about the greatness of Jesus and, and what he did when he was born on this planet. But also just take some time, spend some money, do something nice for somebody that you know that is hurting. And I guarantee, this is, this is what I, I just guarantee it because I know, because God has led me to cool situations where I've been able to do this. That, that, you will, that you will feel, maybe for the first time for some of you, you will feel like you actually celebrated Christmas in a way that was good, in a way that honored God, in a way that was pleasing to Him. You see, if you want to make this Christmas about Jesus, then you first of all have to remember the value, the real value of it. And the, the Magi teach us that He is our King, He is our Savior, He is our God with us, and He came to take away the sins that are in us that we've committed, that we've done. And then, if you want to really make this Christmas about Jesus, not just in your, your Facebook posts and not just in your, your signs that you stick in your front yard and the, the things that you hang in your house, but really make this Christmas about Jesus, then you have to take some time for Him. You need to talk about Him. You need to continue to be a person that finds the hurting and the broken and the suffering and the struggling and does something kind for them. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, I thank you that, that we uh, that we came to this story this year. Um, God, you know that, that this, this Christmas season I really struggled to, to figure out what we ought to do as far as, as a sermon series, as far as a theme through December. Uh, God, I didn't see this one coming, but yet you led us here and I think you've taught us exactly what you wanted to teach us. And I pray, Lord, for all of us who are here, that we would not just, I really, what I hope, what I hope, God, is that, that our people don't say, wow, Chad did a good job, I learned something new. But instead they make this Christmas about you. And they go home from here and they just remember the value of you and what all you mean to the Christmas story, Lord. And then they apply what we have talked about, God. And, and instead of just going through another Christmas and, and just kind of decorating stuff and hanging out with family, they would, they would take time for you and they'd speak about you. And, and God, they would, they would help the hurting and the broken give you a present, really, Lord. Uh, Jesus, we have three days until Christmas, and, and I just, we, we want to say thank you for coming to this earth. I mean, what an incredible gift that you, our God, would come here for us. We thank you for it, Lord, and we pray that we'd honor you in our celebration of it. Lord, for, for people who don't know you, that are listening right now, I would ask that, that you, God, would just take their hearts and, and, and you would just stir something in them that draws them to the real value of this season. Or maybe there's some people who, who are here today and they, they hate Christmas and they, it just reminds them of, uh, of the loss of loved ones. Uh, it reminds them of, of bad childhood things that have happened to them. And they associate Christmas with not having enough money 
I just pray that in them you would just excite them for Christmas, not because their past was great or because they have enough money this year, but because you, Lord, came to the earth. Jesus, we love you. God, I just declare that this is about you. This is all about you, Lord. Not just Christmas, all year, everything we do, our lives should be about you. They're not always, Lord, but I pray more and more they would be and that we would give you our time and our words and we would give you, God, the treasures of our life by helping those who are hurting. Oh, we love you, Lord. Amen.